0: If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James, chapter 1. We're going to continue studying there. Smartphone, whatever you use to look at your Bible. Also pull out your outline. I think it'll help. A lot of blanks, a lot of good stuff. Encourage you to do that. Can I just echo uh, what you just heard on Clover Hill News about kids camp? Those are some life-changing weeks. If you have a kid 8 to 12, I would really, if at all possible, get them to kids camp. Gives you a week off, but also gets them... That was kind of funny, but nobody laughed, so it wasn't a joke. So uh, get them, is, there, is this crowd, are you guys going to be okay today? Because the first two were a little tough. I don't know, maybe it's me, but I think it's the pollen. Okay, let's just blame it on the pollen. All right, but but get your kids to kids camp. It's in the bulletin, it's on on the webpage. You'll, you'll find all the information there. And then we do a junior high camp again. I got called in the ministry at a junior high camp, ran from it for quite a few years, but finally surrendered to the will of the Lord, not that your kid will get called to ministry at a junior high camp, but the Lord will minister to him. And then a youth missions trip for high schoolers is also this summer, and just if you want your kids to be impacted and, and really influenced, I encourage you to see if that's something that you could you could do. Today, we're in the book of James, second part of a 10-part series. If, if you didn't like last week, this week's going to be much, much better. And if you don't like this week, next week will be off the hook. I mean, it'll be good. So we, we talked about James was written by the half-brother of James. And so James gets the opportunity to grow up with Jesus. Why can't you be more like Jesus, James? You're always sinning. He's always perfect. Terrible. I wouldn't like that. called his brother a lunatic, said you're out of your mind until... Easter Sunday, until Jesus rose from the dead. Then James was all on board, became a leader in the New Testament church. Some people think the leader in the New Testament church. Uh, he, this is James, is the first book written in the New Testament. Not, it's not Matthew. Wasn't James the first book written? And he begins his book with, "Consider it all joy, my brother, whenever you encounter trials of various kinds." He's writing to these persecuted Christians that are. They're just scattered. They fall in love with Jesus, want to serve God, and they're getting kicked out of their homes. They're getting fired from their jobs. They're getting stoned with rocks. They're getting, they're getting beat. They're getting thrown in jail. And James goes, hey, man, these trials, if you'll walk through them in the right way, they will really help you. They'll develop you. They'll conform you to the image of God. And if you'll just persevere, if you'll hang in there, God will create some staying power and you'll become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so, I, last week we talked about it I just want you to rejoice, James said I want you to request, make your request known to God I want you to relax that he's for you and not against you And, and he's going to help you and, and here's how he ends that section Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial So I don't know what you're going through today It might be, it, you might be in a real struggle Can I just encourage you, don't quit Don't give up, don't throw in the towel You're, you're going to get through it God's going to help you and I need to say this, in, it might seem like a long season, this trial that you're facing, but in light of eternity, it's nothing. So I'm just telling you to fix your eyes on Jesus, dig in, allow the Lord to help you, because when you have stood the test, you will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And then He goes, by the way, let me talk to you about temptation. So testing right into temptation, because they're different. Tempting and temptation are different. Testing wants to to shape you. Testing wants to develop you. Temptation, the ultimate goal of temptation is to destroy you. The ultimate goal of temptation is to keep you from reaching your full potential and and all that God has for you. So, So testing is a tool in the hands of God that He can use to shape you. Temptation is not of God. He has nothing to do with it. And it's meant to throw you off course. And, and you just right out the gate, you need to know temptation is not, necess- it's not sin. It's what you do with the temptation. And I say that b- to say this because men come to me all the time and say, not all the time, but they have come often, hey, I'm really struggling with this. It's always on my mind. It's always an issue. So I just might as well do it. And that, that, once you do it, then you sin. But when it's just a temptation, it's not a sin yet. And there, we think temptation is just sexual sin. There's many kinds of temptation. You can be tempted to doubt. You know, that's a sin. And when you, when you worry, you don't, you, don't, you don't trust God. And, and, and that can be a real temptation. You can have a temptation to get revenge. Somebody's hurt you, man. If I get an opportunity to get them back, I'm going to let them have it. You know, you can, have a, you can have a temptation to exaggerate. I was with a group of pastors this week. And I'm always tempted in that setting when somebody asks me, well, how many did y'all have Sunday morning? I'm always tempted to round to the nearest thousand. I just want, I just want to look good. I want everybody to think I'm somebody. You know, it's just a temptation. It's a sin. And, and it's not, if I just think that, it, I'm not there yet. But if I, you know, if I do it, then I, so, so it's, Martin Luther said, y- you cannot keep the birds from flying over your head. But you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And that's where it swaps over and switches over. Some of you, well, let's just go on. So here's what, here's what James says. When tempted, not if you're tempted. I don't think you ever get above temptation. I think it does get easier the longer you walk with Christ. You have some tools and you have some, you have some, uh, uh, the Spirit of God helps you, but, but you're going to be tempted. And, and, and you got to know this too. I keep saying that. But you got to know you're not on an island. Here's what the devil wants to do. He wants to isolate you. I'm the only one that struggles with this. I'm the only one that thinks this. I'm the only one that has to fight this. And that's a lie. Paul said there's no temptation but such that is common to man. That We all deal with the same stuff. Don't, don't, don't allow, don't let the devil even this morning back you in a corner and say you're the only one. It's not the truth. There are others that are struggling with the very same thing you're struggling with. But the Bible says, but God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted above that you're able uh, to get out of it. And he'll even make a way for your escape. And this morning, it's my prayer that you'll see the way and you'll take it. And you'll get out of what what the enemy wants to use to destroy you. But what God can help you get through. No one should say, God is tempting me. So as we talk about temptation, the first thing you've got to do is recognize the source. What's the source of temptation? James says, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God's, God's not the source. You remember, temptation, the ultimate hope is your sin, and sin leads to death. God's not about you dying. God's about you living. God's not about destroying your life. He's about equipping and helping your life. God's not the author. So who is? Who is what is the source of temptation? Well, well, one is the world that we live in. Again, I mean, I like to say we live on Temptation Island. We live in a world that's immoral, ungodly, anti-God. And and when I say world, here's what the Bible says about the world. Don't love the world. And I'm not talking about loving a thunderstorm or loving nature or or loving to go on a hike. That's not what he's talking about. When he says world, he's talking about the world's ways, the world's philosophies, the world's ideas, the world's. The world's thinking of living. See, the world and the kingdom of God are—they're uh, just opposed. They're—they're they're a complete contradiction. The world says you gotta—you gotta push your way to the top. You gotta get ahead. You got you just gotta what? Whoever gets in your way, knock them over. You just gotta get after it. The kingdom of God says that you—you you gotta serve. You gotta put yourself second. You don't—you don't—you lose your use your influence or leadership to lord over people but you use your influence and leadership to serve people. The world world says, get all you can get, man. Greed is the the thing. You just need to have it all. The kingdom of God says, you got to give, you got to give. It's generosity. Give all you can. The world says, satisfy your appetites. The kingdom of God says, practice self-control. The world says, speak your mind. And if you're if you're too cowardly to say it face-to-face, then put it on Facebook, or, or put it on Twitter, put it out there, just get it out there. And the, and the Bible says, control your tongue. There's they're, they're just two, are just, and the world says, you just got to be good. Just be good. And the Bible says, you got to be forgiven. They're just opposed. So you can't, if you love the world or anything in the world, it's ways, philosophies, ideas, then you don't have the love of the Father in you. You you can't love both. James says friendship with the world is hatred towards God because they're in such opposition. They're going in such different directions. Here's what Paul said. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't let it shape you. Don't let it mold you. Don't don't give in to its influence. Don't, Don't 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 be succumbed by by its temptation, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. How to allow the word of God to, so if you don't like this week, next week's going to be off the hook. So transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what another source of temptation is? It's the enemy. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brother and the master manipulator, the liar. He's also in Matthew 4, 1, he's known as the tempter. And again, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you. And so he'll use temptation to get you off track. And then another source is just ourselves. We, when we get born again, our spirit man comes alive, but we still live with the flesh, and we're still in this thing. Uh, we have a soul, and we still have a body. And, and so there's this tug of war. There's this, there's this I want to do right, but wrong is right there with me. And, and so there's this, just this inner struggle at times to give in to temptation. So when you recognize the source then I think you can, you can begin to move on and you understand. Here's the second point. You understand the process because temptation has a process. Here's the great thing about the enemy. I think it's great. He, he's, he's not very creative. He does it the same way all the time. He's been doing it for thousands of years. And if we'll understand the process, it, it, can, it can keep us in the right place. And so what, what's the process? Well, you find it in the next verse. And let me read it, and then I'll try to kind of spell it out. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So we've just heard, uh, look, God's not the author of temptation. Don't say when you're tempted God's doing that. But when you are tempted because you're going to be tempted, understand the process. And it begins, Satan uses our desires at the very beginning. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. Look, desires are not bad in amongst themselves. What happens is, here's, here's a desire. I have a desire, I have a need to be loved. That's a good thing. If I didn't have a desire to be loved, I'd be, just treat everybody like trash. I have, a, I have a desire to be successful, and that's not bad. If I didn't, then I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. I have a, I have a, you know, whatever the desire might be. What happens is uh, Satan plays on a God-given desire and it gets g- blown out of control and it gets run away. And I have, and this is how he acts. this is what he does. Okay, back to this desire to be successful. I want to be the very best I can be. I, I want to reach my full potential. Nothing wrong with that. It's God-given. It's a great trait. It's a good thing. But if, if my job becomes my identity, if, if who I am becomes how many people we got, or, or if I love my job more than my family, or, or if, I put, if I put my ministry above my relationship with Jesus, then it's become out of control. And so Satan wants to tap on that. Oh, you want to be successful? You got to work harder. You got to walk over people. You got to do this. You got to surrender this. You can't, you can't be that and do that. And he plays on this natural desire to get us off whack. And I, you just got to know something about appetites. They're never fully and finally satisfied. Never. You say, yeah, they are. If I can. Do... And here's what it is. You know, if we have 500 people, I want 1,000 people. We got 1,000. It doesn't matter. It's never over. You ask the drunk if one more drink's enough. You ask the guy that's dealing, struggling with pornography if one more picture's enough. In fact, we often think if I just fulfill this desire, then it'll quench it. It doesn't, it fuels it. The more you look at, it, the more you want. The more you succeed, the more you need. It's just this constant pattern because you weren't created to be met. You weren't created to be fulfilled with anything other than Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that can fully and finally satisfy. He's the only one that can meet your deepest need and the longing of your heart. And we, we get this idea, well, if I just get there, if I just feel this, if I, if I get to this place, if I experience this feeling that I'll, I'll finally make it, it's a lie. It's a lie. It, it just doesn't happen. And, and your ability... Our inability to manage your appetites, your ability or inability to say, this will never be fully and finally satisfied, therefore I will not let it con- 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 control my life, will be the direction that your life had, will be, will really, with that one question, will, will determine your destiny, your, your potential fulfilled, your life that honors God or not. Satan plays on these desires, these desires. That are God given, but sin distorted, and He uses them to get us off track. And it says He's dragged away and enticed. That's the next step or next stage. And it's, I just call it deception. You get you get deceived. It, it's the it's a fishing term. James's audience would it dragged away. It's like it's like, this is the picture I want to give you. A fisherman, if you know anything about fishing, which I don't, but they know what bait to use and. And if you're trying to catch a catfish, you don't use probably a hot dog and put it on the top of the water. You don't, you don't do that. Satan knows the bait that's most appealing to you and the bait that he uses on me might be different than the bait that he uses on you, but he knows what entices you. He knows what's impe- appealing to you and he will use that bait to catch you. So if you're catching bass, again, I don't know, you put some lure on it and I, I've seen commercials, they spray some spray on it that they kind of may, have you seen that kind of Bill dance or whatever, tries to make the fish come to it and it draws it to it. And so the fisherman casts that lure out there and he's bobbing it up and down. And that big old bass has got an option. He can come out from behind that rock and say, man, that looks like the thing that got my daddy. I'm out of here. Or he can mess around with it, play with it. It's not going to get me. Hit it, nibble at it yeah it's not going to affect me. it's not going to hurt me yeah, I, I, I can I can I can do this. You know where you are you're in a place of deception. you're playing with the you're playing with the bait and you know what we do in this place of deception we start to think, what if what would my life be like if what would it be like if I smoked that or drank that or slept with that? We start to rationalize my life would be better if Man, that's what Adam and Eve said. If I just eat of that fruit, my life will be better. I'll be be more like God. That's what David thought. If I sleep with Bathsheba, my life's going to be better because that need's going to be satisfied and met. Solomon thought, if I just keep all that I have to myself, I'll just pile it all up and I'll just get more and more and it'll be be great. What if? You know, he, he came to the conclusion that it's all vanity and the only thing that really matters is fearing God and walk humbling before your Lord. You, you, you know, it's all we, we start to think and and well well it if it feels this good, surely it can't be wrong. You know, if anybody had a right to rationalize, justify, excuse away, it was Joseph. Remember Joseph, all that had happened in his life? I mean, he, he's getting tempted, he's getting pursued by Potiphar's wife. And she I'm sure she's an attractive lady and 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 and, and you know, he might have been, I don't know, nobody will find out, nobody will know, and he could have started saying, well, I'm young, and I'm single, and I'm in a foreign country, and she wants me, and I was abused as a child, and my mom died when I was young, and my father was overindulgent, and my brothers hated me and sold me into slavery, and I've come from a dysfunctional family, and I've been deprived of love, so... So how can this be bad for me? Yet yeah, when that lady came to Joseph multiple times, he, he said, I will not sin against God and sleep with this woman. And, and, and the Bible says he turned away and ran. And can I, can I just encourage you, exhort, sometimes the best thing to do is just run, baby, run. Get out in Jesus' name. That bait, is, it's just bobbing and, and it's just hanging on. And, 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 and there are people today that are nibbling on that bait. And you're saying I can handle this and it won't get me and I know what I'm doing and this is the 21st century and morals and values have changed and nobody will know and nobody will find out and it won't hurt me I'm telling you you're in stage step number 2. And I'm just I'm just screaming don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Be don't even Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be proactive, not reactive. Here's my my girl, my baby girl just got her license. You can teach young people how to drive two ways, reactive or proactive. Reactive. Emily, I know you're going to get in an accident. I know you're going to hit somebody. I know you're going to speed. I know you're going to do something wrong. So here's the insurance card. Here's the registration when the police officer asks for it. Call the, call the insurance. Call me. This is... That's, that's reactive. That's, you're going to get in a crash. Just be prepared when you crash. You know what? Reactive Christians, there's favorite verses. 1 John 1, 9. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's reactive. I think, I think James, and what I want, I want us to be proactive. Baby, you might get in an accident But I want to keep you from an accident. So let's go on the road and you're not going to follow too close. You're going to cell phone. You're going to put in your glove box. You're going to put on your turn signal in plenty of time. You're not going to have any fast movement from lane to lane. You're You're going to stay under the speed limit. You're not going to be messing with the radio while you're driving. I want, you to be, I want you to be proactive. And if you do get an accident, then we'll deal with it. But I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident that if you'll abide by these, and if you'll do these, you'll stay out of harm's way and you'll be okay. You know what the proactive verse is? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer the part. Don't play with the baits. Don't don't mess around with it. Don't stay involved in it. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. Don't play with the sin. Go after God. Don't see how close you can get to the edge without falling off. see how close you can get to God. Don't, don't, don't see, don't, don't nibble with it, don't play with it. Go after Jesus, for sin shall not be your master, because you're not under the law, you're under grace. Be proactive, resist, flee, run, stay away, stay close to God, get full of His Spirit. You'll be glad you did, because here's the next step. It's disobedience. Satan messes with a desire. We get to a place where, where we can be deceived. Then after desire has conceived, it's a birthing term. After desire gives birth, I'm going to go ahead and do this. I'm going to go on and act on it. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, it's not a temptation any longer. Now I'm going to give in to the temptation. I'm going to sin. It gives birth, it gives birth to sin. So now there's this, there's this disobedience stage. It goes from desire to deception. If you play around with it too much, eventually you disobey And what I want to know, what I want you to know today about disobedience is for you that are living in disobedience, you know it. You don't need me to tell you how bad you are. You don't need, you don't, you don't need me to tell you, you, you know, the guilt, you know, the conviction, you know, you know what you've done is wrong. You, you, you're not saying, pastor, tell me how stupid I've been. I think you're saying, pastor, help me get out of this. And so, so that's what I want to do. And here's how, here's what Jesus said, or the writer of Hebrews said, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. You, you've given in to a weakness. You've disobeyed. And here's what the enemy said. You don't belong here. You shouldn't even be here. And when we worship in just a few moments, you have no business going after God or worshiping God. The enemy would say, you know what? He, here's his, one of his favorite lines. You need to go get cleaned up and then come to God, and then he'll accept you. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says we have a high priest. His name is Jesus. And he just doesn't sympathize with your struggle. He empathizes. There's a difference. Like, 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 I'll use this illustration. Angie and I have never lost a baby. And so if you lose a baby, we, we don't know how that feels. We don't know what you've walked through. All we can do is try to give you compassion and share our love. And we can think, man, that must be terrible. I can't imagine. Empathy is we've lost a kid. Now it goes beyond sympathy. I've been there. I know what it's like. I, I've experienced the pain. I know the hurt. I know exactly what you're going through. That's what Jesus is saying. I've been where you've been. I have faced every temptation. The enemies come against me. The world's come against me. Everybody's come against me. But, 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 and I know what you're struggling with. Yet I didn't sin. I know it, but I overcame it. Okay, so what do I do? Do you run from Jesus? Do you hide from Jesus? That's what Adam and Eve did. They bit off that apple under the guilt and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They couldn't take it. So they go cover up and they go hide. And you know what the great thing about that story? God comes down and goes, Adam, Eve, where are you? Well, God took the first step. God took the initiative. God made his way to them. And God's done it for us. And so he says, if you're in a state of disobedience, if you've you've given into your struggle... If you're on the verge of giving into your struggle, if you're playing with that temptation, then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, not with condemnation, not, not with I could never do this, not that I could ever get by it, but go with confidence God, I need your help. And He says, I'm going to give you mercy and grace to help in your time of need. But if you don't, It goes to the fourth stage. And when sin is conceived, when you act on it, when you don't go to God to get help and get forgiveness and get restored and get made back in right relationship, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. And that's that's Satan's ultimate plan for your life. Death. Spiritual death. Financial death. Relational death. Emotional death. The exact opposite of God's plan for your life, which is life and life more abundantly. And so, and so you got to know God's not the source of temptation. you got to understand the, the process of temptation that, 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 that there is. A, and here's a great example, I think, of, of, of the process of temptation is the story of Lot. You remember, some of you remember Lot? He was the nephew of Abraham. It's back in Genesis chapter 13. And, and, and Lot grew up with this God-fearing, honorable man. Abraham was the father of faith, had God's favor, God's blessing. And, and Lot grew up beside, was kind of growing under the shadow, under the wing of Abraham. And so there came a time in their life where Lot said, Father Abraham, it might be best if we separated. And we just left. That's a desire. It's not a bad desire. I don't want to live under my uncle's shadow the rest of my life. I, God's blessed me. I want to do my own thing. I, I want to separate. That's not bad. But here's what happened. Satan tapped on a desire and then began to deceive him. And so so Lot, he got the first choice. He looked out over the land, and Abraham said, whatever you want, you can pick it. And he chose the plain of Jordan. And I, I don't know if he knew. It doesn't say he knew, but I, I kind of think he might have knew that the plain of Jordan housed Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and, and Gomorrah was the most... I mean it makes some of our cities look like cupcakes today. It was wicked, it was vile, it was immoral, it was ungodly. It was just it was depra it was just depra it was depravity. It was just it was a mess. And I in this is what it says, Lot pitched his tent facing Sodom. So every morning he'd come out of his tent, got his coffee in his hand, looking out all over the city, looking at the junk, it's not going to affect me. I've been with Abraham. I'm above this. I'm better than that. It, it's not it there's the bait, but it's not, he's just kind of tapping on it. He's just kind of messing with it. He's, he's in this place of deception. I, I'm okay. If you look in chapter 18, the Bible says that Lot ended up in the heart, in the center of the city, right in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah. He went from desire to deception, and now he's living in outright disobedience. I mean, so much so that two men come to rescue him, Two men come to see him, they're angels dressed in the, in the appearance of a man. And, and they, the city men, the rest of the men, the Bible says, the whole city came to his house and said, Lot, send us those two men that are visiting today because we want to have sex with them. Lot is in such a place of disobedience. He's been so deceived that he says, hey, you can't have those men, but you can have my two virgin daughters. Take them, have your way with them. He's such, he is, is such in a place of disobedience. He gets another chance they come back to rescue him out and, and uh, he reluctantly the Bible says he gets out of Sodom and Gomorrah his sons-in-laws won't follow him he has no moral authority with them. his daughters follow him reluctantly his wife goes with him, but her heart remains in Sodom and so on the way out she turns around and she turns into a pillar lot lost everything. It, just the desire to be on his own, not a bad desire, but he got run away. The deception that I can live here and it can't affect me and I'm okay, down to disobedience to death. He lost his family, he lost his integrity, he lost, his, he lost everything. And that's where Satan wants to get you and that's where I want to keep you from. The wages of sin is death. It destroys So what do I do? I I want to overcome temptation. And that's the last point, learn to overcome. And so we go to the next verse, verse 17. And you remember the Bible, when it was first written, there was no chapters and verses. It was just thought. I mean, it it just kind of flowed. And so he goes from trials to temptation. He's still on this idea of temptation. And he says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And so, so when God tempts you, you've got to know God's not tempted you. But you're tempted when your own evil desires are drawn away and enticed. And then, and then it turns into disobedience. And when sin is conceived, it gives birth to sin. But I've got some good gifts for you. you. Follow with me in the flow. I've got some things for you that can help you overcome temptation. I'm a good God with good gifts. And if you'll tap into these, you can overcome you can overcome. So what are those good gifts? I, I, don't, I don't know if this is all of them, but I think it's a few of them. And the first is wisdom. A God, get Wisdom, I think, is a gift. God gives it to it. Where do we find that? James 1, 5. Just a little bit earlier on in, the, in this same chapter. If any of you lacks wisdom, man, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to... I'm getting too close to this. What do I do, God? You know, I, I told you, God always makes a way of escape. Where's the escape? Where's the... Where's the rescue door, God? How do I get out from under this thing? How do I move away? If anyone lacks wisdom, I'm, I'm getting sucked in, God. I need your wisdom. Then let him ask of God. It's a gift. God, give us wisdom. And there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge knows the truth. Wisdom applies the truth. Lord, help me to apply the truth in your word. Knowledge fills your mind. Wisdom guides your life. Knowledge is truthful. Wisdom is useful. Knowledge provides information. Wisdom provides transformation. Knowledge tells you what to believe. Wisdom tells you how to behave. I think God give me wisdom. I think wisdom is one of those gifts. You need to tap into that. Another thing is God's word. God's word is a gift. I, I I, I don't think I... Yeah, let me, let me emphasize, Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart, the psalmist said, that I might not sin against you. People, when people come to me, Pastor, I'm struggling with doubt. I'm struggling with fear. I'm, I'm struggling with a sexual temptation. My first answer to, to just about, for every man or woman that's ever done that, I, my first response was, hey, you need to get a scripture that corresponds to your struggle. You need to memorize it you need to let it go past your mind and soak into your heart. And when you're dealing, when that thing comes up against you, you need to use that scripture as a weapon, as a prayer, as a tool to overcome the enemy. So you struggle with fear, you struggle with doubt, you struggle with worry. And that, that's a constant temptation and, and issue with you. Then I would do Philippians 4.16. 16. Uh, that, that, that just it, it talks about do nothing out of self 4 6. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's not the verse. Don't be anxious about anything. That's the verse. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I'd use that. You know, if you're dealing... Some of us think we're bigger than we are. We we deal with this issue of pride. And and I would just get a proverb in my heart. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And when I think I'm just a little bit bigger than I really am, you know, you know, I'd look myself in the mirror and I'd say, hey, you're not God. He is. And I'm going to humble myself before him so that in due time, he'll exalt me. He'll elevate me. If you're whatever it is, get a core. God's given us his word so that we can overcome sin. Hide it in your heart. You know what another another gift I think is? Other believers. Other believers. We need, we need other Believers, if you're losing a battle against a persistent struggle or temptation or addiction or habit, if you, here's what happens. We get stuck in a cycle. Are you still with me? Stay with me just a few more minutes. You all right? You getting anything out of this? I hope it's going to help you. Here's the, here's the cycle we get in. It's a cycle of good intentions. Man, I want to live for God. I want to serve God. I want to honor God. I want to bless God. We fail. I can't believe I failed. We get guilty. I got to get out of this stuff. I can't. Man, I'm just so overwhelmed by what's going on. We repent. We have good intentions. We fail. We get guilty. We repent. And the cycle just goes on. It's like a, a mouse on a wheel. It just goes run. The only way you're going to get out that cycle is in, in, unless you tell someone. Here, well, how do you know that? Because here's what James says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I get excited when people come and say, hey, I've never told anybody this, but I struggle with. You know why? Because God's taking stuff that's in the dark, because in the dark it grows. When it comes to the light, it's exposed. You, you need some people in your life that will pray with you and encourage you and help you. You know you're only as sick as your secrets. Well, you know, nobody else is struggling with this. Nobody would understand. Nobody knows. Nobody, nobody goes through this. You, that's, it, that's it. You've been deceived. You, there are people that know. There are people that can help. That's why we have small groups. It's not to give you another thing during the week to go to. No, we, we do it so you'll, you'll move along in your spiritual journey, that you'll have a couple people in your life. I'm not going to get before this crowd and tell them my struggles. It's none of your business. But I got two or three people that love me and I love them, that I have confidence. They're not going to spread it to the world. They're not going to put it on Facebook. They're not going to judge me or condemn me. They're going to love me and they're going to help me. And when I begin to do that, that's when healing can take place in my life. When I confess my sins to God, I'm forgiven. But when I confess my sins to others, I'm healed. I encourage you, man. We're in the process of signing up for a new semester. Get in a group. Well, I'm not struggling with temptation. You can help somebody that's struggling now. It's not always about you. It might be about you helping somebody else. Just don't be on an island. Be by yourself. Get connected with other believers so you can move. In what God would have for you. And here's another thing, another gift. And now I'll close with this. Don't put anything away. Don't move. Stay put. But God gives us the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. And here's what the Bible says. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. I got a check engine light in my van. Everybody does. But it comes on when there's an issue. And I, when that light comes on, i gotta, I got to make a decision. Am I just going to keep driving it and just hope and pray that I don't end up on the side of the road somewhere? Or am I going to get to a mechanic and see what's wrong with it? I'm smart enough to know if you allow that check engine light on long enough, sooner, later, later, sooner, it's eventually going to leave you broke down and stuck. The Holy Spirit is our check engine light. The Holy Spirit is the voice of God that speaks to his kids. And he says, hey, man, you're doing great in that. And keep that up. You, you ought, Don't do that. Don't go there. You're getting too close to that lady. You need to back off. You're headed down a path. You, you shouldn't. It's a check engine light. And listen, we can ignore it. I'm going to be okay. Nobody's going to find out. I can ride for miles with this check-in. I'm just going to ride it for all it's worth. Friend, you're going to end up on the side of the road with your life broken pieces. And the people around you are going to be the ones that are hurt the most. What I'm encouraging you to do is listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And He wants to speak. If you'll open up your heart and your mind, He'll talk to you. And as you're asking for wisdom, as you're diving into God's word, and as you're connected to other believers, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Is there an area of my life that's not right? Speak to me. Help me. Guide me. Lead me. And I'm going I'm to follow you. Here, here's the last thing. I know I said that was the last thing. Here's the last thing. Fall in love with Jesus. This is what I know about my relationship with Angie. I'm less tempted when our relationship's right. When I'm loving on her, when I'm encouraging her, when we're praying together, when, when we're spending time together, when we're connected, other women don't interest me. That's the same way with Jesus. When you're going after Jesus, when you're loving on him, when you're spending time with him, when you're connected to the body of Christ, when you're, when you're following him with all your heart, other things don't look as attractive. They don't look as appealing. Here, here's how John says it. John says, if you love me, and I used to think this meant, if you love me, you'll obey me. Dad gone it. And if you don't love me, if you don't obey me, it means you don't love me. That's not what Jesus is saying. If you love me, you'll obey me. Because obedience is a byproduct of love. You just love, you just don't even think about obeying me. You just fall in love with me. And obedience will just follow. It'll come natural. You just focus on me. Look, look. There's a way which seems right to a man, but it ends in death. And Satan wants to take you there. And I'm saying God's got a greater plan and God's got a bigger idea for your life. And it's not a life of sin. It's not a life of guilt. It's not a life of remorse. It's a life of integrity. It's a life of blessing. If it's a life, It's, it's a life of legacy. It's a life of honor. I'm telling you, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome sin. We can live in a world that's gone crazy. We can have a testimony for Jesus Christ. We can honor him with all our lives. Amen, everybody. Amen. Stand to your feet with me, will you? And right where you are, will you just lift your hands towards heaven and say, just allow your focus to be on him today. Lord, we love you and praise you. If you're in the midst of obedience, get your hands out of your pocket and get them raised to Almighty God because you can approach his throne room with grace to find mercy and help in your time of need. Over these next few moments, we're just going to take some time to go after God, to spend time in his presence, to learn and to to commit to loving him once again my prayer is that he will transform us that the Holy Spirit will speak to us that we'll leave here with a new determination a new desire, a new infill and a new grace to be all that he wants us to be in Jesus' name